<laughs> if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 32. Before we reread our text from last week, I want to preface it with what happened um, before the wrestling match. And this is how it went down in Genesis 32, verse 3. This is we're going to start. Verse 3. It says, Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau. Esau was living in the, in the region of Seir, in the land of Edom. And so Jacob told his servants, he said, Give this message to my master Esau. Notice, I'm not calling him brother. Master. He's doing everything he can to to rectify and, and make right a situation that he made wrong 21 years before. So he's, send, me, uh, send this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now I have been living with Uncle Laban, and now I own cattle and donkeys and flocks of sheep and goats and many servants, both men and women. And I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming hoping that you will be friendly to me. This is the NLT. I just want to make sure it makes sense to everyone. Hoping that you'll be good to me, kind to me. Verse 6, and here it is. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, now check this out, we met your brother Esau, and he is already on his way to meet you with an army of 400 men. ruh -roh. Jacob was terrified at the news you think so he divided his household along with the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups okay here's why he thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it perhaps the other group can escape then Jacob prayed oh God of my father Abraham God of my father Isaac Lord you who said to me Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I will do good to you. I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servants. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, here's Jacob's own testimony. I owned nothing except a walking stick. But now, because of how you have blessed me, my household fills two large camps. Let me just finish with the first half of verse 11. So he prays this. Save me, I pray. Rescue me, I pray. Save me. Keep me. Put your hand upon me and deliver me from the hand of my brother. Now before we, before we pray, just real quick. Go back to verse 8, just quickly, Tiana. Verse 8. It says in verse 8, very clearly, it says, it says, Jacob thought, Jacob thought, he thought, okay, Esau is coming and Esau is going to attack me. He thought that. Now let's give him verse 9, Tiana. Then Jacob, here's the turning point of any passage and chapter and book in your life. Not when you get stuck in your thoughts, but when you begin to open up your mouth and call upon the name of the Lord. Can you see this difference? Verse eight, he thought, but verse nine, 
he prayed. Can I tell the devil he never should have let us get here today? You never should have let me show up today. Because all week long he's had you in your mind. All you've been doing is thinking about the attack. But the moment you stop thinking about the attack and you start praising your God is the moment you are telling Satan, I'm going to see a victory because this fight belongs to the Lord. I want to prophesy to somebody who's been hanging your head all week long in worry. It is time to lift up your eyes and lift up your hands and raise up your faith to God in heaven because today is the day God's going to step into the battle and he's going to turn the fights. We are good. All right, now let me keep reading. Verse 22, and then I'll pray. Verse 22, this is where we were last week. During the night, Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two servant wives and his 11 sons and he crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, here it is, he also sent over all his possessions. So now what happens? Verse 24, this left Jacob all alone. All alone. I'm going to minister to this in just a moment. But this text is for every one of you who are surrounded by people. You know you've got people who are for you and love you and have your back. But as of this moment, you feel like Jacob. I've been left all alone. And I want you to see what happens in this moment when you feel so alone. A man came and wrestled with Jacob until the dawn began to break. And when the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched or he struck Jacob's hip and wrenched, wrenched it out of its socket. When the man, or then the man said this, let me go. For the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, wait a second. We just read about all the blessings he already has. All the wealth he's accumulated. The fact that he had 11 sons. Benjamin wasn't born yet. He had 11 sons. That in of itself in ancient times is a supreme blessing to be able to produce that many male offsprings. Uh, 11 sons. This man is blessed in every sense of the word. But he says to the, this man he's wrestling with, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Maybe this isn't about things. Maybe this isn't about what I'm getting. Maybe this is about who I'm becoming. I will let go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked him. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob. And he told him, from now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and you have won. All right, I'm going to need some help right now. Would you turn to your neighbor? And would you gently, gently either give them a bear hug or put them in a headlock and give them the title for my sermon today. Just tell them this. Just tell them this. Wrestle until you win. Wrestle until you win. 
wrestle. I see some husbands and wives really just demonstrating the love. Wrestle until you win. I'm going to say it again so you get it in your spirit. Wrestle until you win. If you're thankful for the word of God, come on, put your hands together today. Amen. Thank you, sir. Woo, it is warm up on this stage, praise God, all right? So forgive me if I have to take a break for a moment and rehydrate. What I want us to do here for a few moments is I, I want to look at, at this story now in context as a whole. Now that we understand why Jacob was wrestling, now that we understand the, the, the impending battle in his mind before the wrestling match he had with God, I want you to see that because he was all alone, and because it was during the night when this wrestling match started, that it lets me know two things. Number one, here's the first thing it tells me. No one else saw how much Jacob wrestled, how much Jacob struggled. Nobody saw that. Could I just ask the question like this? How many of us have struggled in secrecy? Well, yeah, all four of you. Amen. Thank you for the honesty. I have struggled in secrecy, Pastor. No one really knows how real my struggle has been. The second thing it tells me is this. It tells me that Jacob wrestled at night. That means he couldn't see what he was struggling with. Okay, I will. Just for you, Derek. It was at night which means he could not see what he, he didn't have street lamps. He, there, there weren't street lights. He was fighting with something at night, so he did not even recognize what he was fighting with, who he was wrestling with. How many of us have been fighting in the dark? How many of us have been wrestling with an enemy we can't see? Can I tell you, if you are wrestling right now with something you can't see, good. Because too many of us are wrestling against flesh and blood, the people we can see, and you're missing the whole point of the battle in Ephesians 6. Paul says, my fight is not with flesh and blood, the people I can see. Your warfare is not with your boss. It's not with your wife. It's not with your husband. It's not with the people you work with. It's not with your, your nosy neighbors and carrying down the streets. Your fight is against what you cannot see, principalities and powers and rules of the darkness of this world. So if you're fighting in the dark and you can't tell what you're fighting with, good, it probably means you're not fighting with me. It means you're fighting a warfare you cannot see. And I want to say this today. Whatever you believe is the source of your issue determines your strategy for the battle. All right, Derek, I will say that one again. Whatever you believe is the source of your issue determines your strategy for the battle. Okay, what, what do I mean exactly? What I mean is like this. You can live your whole life thinking, I'm wrestling against them. You can live your whole life believing, I am fighting against them. How many of us right now are, are telling ourselves, if I can only convince them, all I need is for them to approve of me and for them to appreciate me. Here's the problem with that thought. The problem is this. You are making them the source of your struggle. 
and your source determines your strategy. My question is, what if you're not wrestling them? What if you're actually wrestling with What if the struggle is not with them? What if the struggle is with him? I, I want to ask you here today, what if, maybe just what if God is trying to switch your strategy because God is trying to switch your source? Am I doing okay? I told you last week. I used to love watching wrestling. Ooh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Come on, somebody. Rowdy Roddy Piper. The ultimate steroid-using warrior. The immortal Hulk Hogan. I promise you, I said my prayers and took my vitamins because Hulk Hogan told me to. What I, what I realized as I was thinking back on my childhood, I realized that I was introduced to wrestling from a guy that I met when I was like six years old. Some of you might have known him from my past. His name is Jeremy Drake. Hey, Jeremy Drake. He introduced me to wrestling when I was like six years old. Now, here's the thing. He was eight years older than me. And because he was an only child, guess who he used to practice all his wrestling moves on? So here's my little six-year-old six, you know, six self being put in a figure four leg lock, you know, trying to tap out, like, what am I supposed to do here? Do you're breaking my leg. Here was me being suplexed onto hotel bedrooms and, and body slammed on the floor and, and leg dropped like Hulk Hogan's. I, I would just go through it just because this is what he loved, and now I started to love it. And so this was, this was my thing as a child. I loved wrestling. But Pastor Vita, you know what? I never imagined that I would grow up and become a wrestler. Now, I know somebody's saying, I thought he was a pastor. <laughs> I am. But I'm also a wrestler. Now, I get it. I don't have a stage name, and I don't have a th the theme song, and I don't have yellow spandex and, you know, tank tops to rip open. But I'm a wrestler. And the truth is, everyone who is here today and even watching online, every one of us, to some degree, are wrestling with something. And can I say it like this? Most of our matches, they're not fought in public. Most of our matches are fought in private. And I'm here to inform some of you and to remind others of you. If you're going to wrestle, just remember, you don't have to wrestle alone. Okay? One of, one of my most favorite types of wrestling matches was a tag team match. I, come on, somebody. I, I loved those moments when the good guy was getting pummeled in the middle of the ring by the bad guys. 
And what you saw was his partner standing there in the corner, just reaching and stretching and trying to hype up the crowd and stomping and yelling encouragement and tell him, come on, just a little bit more. Just, just keep fighting. Just keep wrestling. Reach out. I'm, if you just, if you could just tag me in, I'm going to come in. And the moment that tag was made, the healthy guy, the strong guy came in and the whole battle turned for their good. I love those moments. Now, here's what I want to tell you. In case you didn't know, you have a tag team partner who has been reaching his mighty hand over into the ring of your life, and he is ready and he is waiting for you to simply say, I can't do this alone anymore. And the moment you reach for his hand and he grabs hold of yours, it's the moment King Jesus is going to jump in the ring and he's going to turn this fight for your good. This is why the psalmist said in Psalms 118 verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If you've lost some battles because you fought them all alone, I'm here to tell you, reach out your hand and praise your God because he's about to step in this battle. If God is on your side, then victory is guaranteed. In truth, there are a, a number of different areas where we have wrestled, where we have struggled. Let me list a few. Someone today is wrestling with insecurity. You were told most of your life you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not worthy. They're always drawing comparisons between you and some other sibling someone else. Always, always drawing comparisons between you and so-and-so's husband. If you only knew what was going on in so-and-so's house. And so you're wrestling with insecurity. Someone else has been wrestling for years with anxiety and worry. Someone else has been wrestling with workaholism. Meaning you, you, literally you have, you have, invested and defested yourself completely in your job. And, and we don't even know you. We don't see you. You're, you're wrestling with, with addictions. And you're wrestling, dare I say, with jealousy and envy. And this is why you can't celebrate when someone else gets promoted or, or when God excels and exalts someone else. Others of us are wrestling today with our priorities. And this is why we don't put God first in our finances. And others of us today are even just wrestling with our faith because we've got doubts and questions and we're wrestling and struggling. But Rev, what I want to do for this few moments here is I want to focus on the one battle that I constantly see in Jacob's life. And it's not just his battle to wrestle with. We've all wrestled with this thing right here. I call this thing, you call this thing, we know this thing as rejection. We have all wrestled with rejection. And if you haven't yet, at some point in your life, you will wrestle with rejection. Raise your hand if someone has ever broken your heart. 
That's rejection. Ooh, raise your hand if, if, if you applied to a certain college, well, like the University of Michigan, and you got a letter back that said, we're sorry to inform you. Oh, I guess everyone got into the college they want. Just me, just me and E-Man. Okay. Just me and E-Man. That's rejection. If maybe you've worked harder than anyone else on your job and you expected the promotion, but they picked someone else less qualified. That's rejection. Many of us have experienced rejection from, dare I say, our fathers. Some of us from our mothers. Many of us from family members because we have chosen to follow Jesus. Others of us have experienced rejection from, from a bank just trying to get a loan, just trying to get some help. Others of us have experienced rejection on the job because we refuse to say and do the things they're doing. And how many of us have experienced rejection even in church? Because I wasn't good enough. Because I didn't look the way they did. I didn't praise the way they did. I, I, I wasn't born into it. I was brought into it. Even worse, how many of you experienced just rejection because of your skin color? How many of you experienced rejection because of your language? Be, because of your backgrounds? How many of us can all, all only, honestly say, I've been rejected because I will not deny Jesus before men? But men have rejected and denied me. Isaiah prophesied this one time, and before I, before I say this, Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 53. He said, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. Here's, here's what I want you to see. If the most righteous person in human history experienced rejection, then isn't it illogical for you and I to think we will never be rejected I said, the most righteous man who's ever lived. In him was no sin. He, he couldn't die for sin if he sinned just once. So he was sinless. And he was the most righteous. And yet he's the most rejected. In fact, Jesus said it of himself in Mark 12. He said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Here's what I want to tell you about rejection. Rejection, the the. The, the word rejection comes from a Latin word. Which here's what it means. It actually means to, to throw back. To throw back. And if rejection is not managed in a healthy way, it can throw us back. How many of us are still dealing with childhood trauma? The rejection, the pain, the, the denial of the past. And, and here we are. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, still dealing with the rejection of our past, the trauma of our past. Now hear me, if you punch me, you might wound my face, but if you reject me, you will wound my soul. And what is it about a soul wound? It's a different kind of wound because a soul wound is bleeding internally and invisibly. You can't see what it's done to me. And I know I'm not a doctor, but Nurse Jessica can clarify. 
But I know that, nurse, if a wound is left untreated, eventually it can lead to an, an infection. Am I correct? All right, so he, if you're taking notes, this is for free for you today. Hear me, hear me. An un, untreated rejection produces infection. Oh, yeah. Infections that come from rejection don't show up in the form of pus and pain. Infections from rejection show up in the form of your personality traits. How you act, how you respond, how you think, what you say. Ooh, come on, somebody. What if I told you that, that some people's timidity isn't their identity? It's an infection. What if I told you that, that somebody's rudeness and hard-heartedness and indifference and racism is not their identity? It's an infection. What, what if I told you that people-pleasing and approval addiction and your insecurities are not your identity? It's an infection. And what if I also told you today that your history does not have to determine your destiny? What if I told you today that what has happened to you does not have to determine what can happen for you? And what if I told you that God wants to introduce you to a stronger you and a wiser you and a better you and a healthier you and a holier you? I know you've been wrestling with rejection and your time. But I came to tell you, keep wrestling. Because if you don't quit, you can win. You can win if you don't quit. Would you remind somebody here today, wrestle until you win. Wrestle until you win. In Genesis, what we see is Jacob has been wrestling his whole life. Not just chapter 32. His whole life. From the womb, he is wrestling with his brother. The, the Bible tells us that, that Rebecca's just like, what the heck is happening inside of me? What is going on? It feels like two nations at war. She was right. They were battling within her womb. So from birth, all he knows is a fight. All he knows is the struggle, wrestling. And, and because his whole life is filled with wrestling, we see the source of that. It's because his whole life, all his experience is rejection. If you know the story of Jacob, you know that Isaac and Rebecca played favorites. And listen to me. All over this room, I'm so thankful for every godly mama that unfortunately has to be both a mama and the spiritual head of her household. But I'm thankful for you. And, and, and if you want to be your mama's favorite, great. But something on the inside of almost all of us says, why does Isaac favor Esau more than me? Why is he blatantly, blatantly treating him better than he does me? Oh, you don't think this doesn't continue to live itself out in Jacob's life? He has 12 sons, and he plays favorites too. And he makes a coat of many colors for his favorite. And that rejection to the other 11 causes them to be murderously angry with their brother. Jacob understands the rejection because now that he's stolen the blessing from Esau, Esau plans on killing the fool. 
He's rejected from his brother. And now his mama, the person who helped him steal the blessing, says, boy, you need to run. Get out of here. Skedaddle. Be gone. So now he's being rejected from daddy, his brother, and now mama. And then he, he meets his Uncle Laban. And Uncle Laban deceives him and mistreats him multiple times over the course of 20 years. I felt like I'm explaining someone's Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, God, Uncle Laban's coming. Oh. Here is Jacob experiencing one rejection after another, from one family member after another, from one situation after another. And now he's forced to leave his home, and, and now he gets married, but no family's there to celebrate. And now he has multiple children and no one there to welcome those babies. And his, his parents and his brother, not there to congratulate him and celebrate him. And, and according to scripture, he even has such a very successful career. I mean, to the point where he's got countless sheep and countless cattle and, and, and countless servants. And he's, he's extremely wealthy and extremely successful, but not a single family member there to say, well done. We're proud of you. And by Genesis 32, Jacob has grown and successful. But he's still dealing, 97 years old, and still dealing with the residual residue of rejection. Good Lord. It's in that moment, Rev, the Bible tells us that Jacob made a decision. He said, I'm going to go back home because I don't want to be under this rejection anymore. So I'm going to try to reconcile with my brother. Whew. I don't need a show of hands, but if you've ever tried to reconcile with a sibling or a relative after years of problems and pain, just nod your head and say, it was a battle. It was a struggle. Okay. Amen. I see some people said they're still bobbing. Jacob says, I'm going to go back and try to reconcile with my brother, but he's not sure. Is Esau still angry with me? What if, if we, we meet each other, and instead of greeting each other, it gets physical? So what Jacob does is he sends away half his family and half his possessions. And then that night, verse 24 tells us, he realizes, man, I need to send everyone. So now here's, all, here's his four wives and his 11 sons and, and the rest of his possession, and he sends them on ahead of him. And now verse 24 tells us he's all alone, all alone. And he wrestled. Pastor Olga, when I look at this, what I see in verse 24 is, Jacob thinks it's a man that came to wrestle with him. I'm all alone, and now I'm wrestling with the man. But verse 28, I know you can't see it right now, but verse 28 makes it clear. By verse 28, Jacob recognizes, I'm not wrestling a man. I'm wrestling with God. And here's the best part. And I've won. 
wrestle until you win. There's some things that we call bad in verse 24. Some things that we call man in verse 24. That by the time we get to verse 28, we realize that ain't bad and that ain't man. That's God. There's some things in verse 24 that have caused us pain. But by verse 28, we're calling it purpose. There are some things that we're calling burden in verse 24. And by verse 28, we're calling it a blessing. Because we keep on wrestling until we win. Verse 28, Jacob says, I, there he is, I wrestled with God. Check it out now. Because God says, God says, you've wrestled with God and with man. And you've won. Wait, what? Wait, wait, time out. Verse 24 told me he was all alone. What do you mean he's wrestled with God and with man? Besides God, the only other human there is Jacob. If no other human is there to wrestle with Jacob, could it be that the man Jacob is wrestling with is Jacob? Come on, somebody, you better preach this message with me right now. Could it be that wrestling with God and man is that tension that exists between who we used to be and who God is calling us to be? Could it be that we're engaged in self-sabotage that keeps us stuck in the past, but you've got a God that is fighting for your future? I'm trying to preach, but at the same time, I'm trying to get through this. Because when I preach, you sit there longer. So let me just say like this. I want to give you three quick things, and I want us to understand that if we have Jacob's struggle, then we can also have Jacob's victory. Yeah. Number one, it is important to understand this. Rejection can be the result of someone else's vision, not your value. What if I told you that the issue is not always what people see or don't see in you? What if I told you that sometimes the issue is just their eyes? What, what if I told you that you have been created in the image and likeness of the Most High God? What if I told you you are worth more, you are more valuable than many sparrows? What if I told you that in God's eyes, no matter how they see you, in God's eyes, you are fearfully and wonderfully made? What if I told you that just because people don't see your value doesn't mean your value is not there? Can I tell you what Jesus said? He said in Matthew 6, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns because your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to God than they are? Can I remind you today, people cannot assign value to you. People can only recognize the value on you. And the power and the authority and the responsibility to assign value to your life doesn't come from them. It comes from God. The only one who created you is the only one who knows what's in you and what you are capable of. And I want to say it like the old church folk used to say it. If God said it, then that settles it. My value is not how you see me. My value 
God sees me. And though you've been rejected because of their vision, I came to tell you today, you've been accepted because of how he sees you. Number two, rejection could be a result of somebody else's issues, not your identity. No, I'm going to try to, Derek. Jesus told the religious people one time, he said, you've got to stop making assessments of others until you first make an assessment of yourself. Matthew 7, he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when the whole time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. Don't you just love Jesus? He tells the religious leaders, the pastors and the bishops and the priests of his day, you hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I get it. There are times when, when people reject us because of their plank, not our speck. I need you to see this here today. Maybe the result of their rejection is just their issues has nothing to do with your identity. Maybe it's all about what's still stuck in their eye, and they can't really see you for who you really are. But can I tell you here today, if you want to rise above their rejection of, of their issues with you, then what you have to do is start to find your identity, not in yourself, not in what they think or what they say. You need to find your identity in Jesus Christ, the one who knows you, loves you, gave himself for you. I am crucified with Christ. I have died to my old self, but I still live. My identity is in Jesus. And number three, and I'll close. Well, I'll try to close. Maybe he is a pastor after all. A wrestling match will be done by now, Pastor. Number three, maybe human rejection is just a sign of God's direction. Miss Autumn, I'm going to let them read it. I need this to finally just soak into somebody's soul. Read this. Digest this. Chew on it and don't spit it out. Don't reject. Ruminate. Let this get in you. Maybe, just maybe, their rejection of me is a sign I've got divine direction on my life. I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I need you to know that for most of my life, from the time it was prophesied over my mother, before she ever had an ultrasound, it was prophesied over her. The man-child in your womb. She had no idea it was going to be a boy. It's prophesied over her womb. The man-child in your womb will do mighty things for God. Who'd that be? So from the time I was born, Reverend Jerry's sister Nancy can tell you, I was being groomed to take over my grandfather's and father's legacy. Faith Tabernacle Church was my destiny. And then in 2005, 
I started hearing God tell me something else. Now imagine having that kind of conversation with the people who are grooming you to take over the family business. I'm hearing something different. Four years later, four years later, I started to take the step of faith. And I had a sit-down meeting with elders and deacons and leaders, and I was told, you can't do this. I was told, not to my face, but it got back to me, the church will last a year, and then it will close. January 11th, 2024, we celebrated 15, 14 more years that you said. I understand rejection from those that you want to love you and believe in you and accept you. I understand what it means to feel like I can't do this, can I? But I need you to know I would not be here today had I not experienced the rejection then. And what I wanted to call unfair, and what I wanted to call wrong, and what I wanted to call mean-spirited, and what I wanted to say, how dare you, I now call it God. I now call it God. Can I remind you what Romans 8.31 says? If God be for us, who can be against us? Somebody just take 10 seconds right now and praise this God who is for us us. Maybe sometimes rejection is just God's way of saying, not over there. I need you over here. Maybe that's why I can lift my hands and praise them when some doors close and I can lift my hands and praise them when others door open. Maybe I can praise them when people honor me and I can praise them when people betray me. I can praise him when he blesses me and I can still praise him when he breaks me. Even with tears in our eyes and our hearts broken, we square up our, soul, our shoulders we hold our heads up high and we declare, I will wrestle until I win. And I came to tell you today, the dawn is breaking and weeping may endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. Somebody put your hands together and let the, let the darkness know the dawn is breaking. Stand your feet with me. Stand your feet with me. Stand your feet with me. Point number four. Wrestle until you win because it's a fixed fight. Oh, this means something to somebody who's in a battle right now. This means something to, to somebody who's been in a struggle. Uh, it seems like an all-night wrestling match. This means something to those of us who have been thinking, am I ever going to see a victory? Yes, wrestle until you win because the fight is finished.
fixed. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, somebody help me with this. Now thanks be unto God who always, I said always, not sometimes, not most of the time, not 99% of the time, always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. I need you to see it. God's will is that you always win. Always win. And so in the whole, the whole of human history, no one, no one was more favored by God than his son, Jesus. But in the whole of human history, no one suffered more rejection from men than Jesus. The Bible tells us that he was even born, and even as a baby, before he was born, and as a baby, he suffered rejection because they told him there's no room in the inn. And then after he's born, King Herod tries to have him murdered and killed as an infant. Jesus spent his entire lifetime, hear me, hear me. He spent his entire lifetime being rejected. John 1 tells us he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Bible tells us he fed 5,000 men. I love how some of you are, are reading the Bible with us right now and you realize he, wait, he fed 5,000 one time and 4,000 another time. Yes, I'll talk about that in the next slide. But one time he fed 5,000 men. And the Bible tells us in John 6, they came back the very next day and they rejected him because he said this in John 6, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And they rejected him for that. Mark 3 even tells us Jesus' own mama. Remember Mary? His own mama and his brothers showed up one day when he was preaching because they thought he went crazy. Because here he is preaching and healing the sick and casting out demons. All of his life, all that Jesus knew was rejection. And in fact, the people who rejected his message and his miracles and eventually had him murder were the most religious people what's my point what's my point what do you get at pastor hear me in your spirit bring away low i want to make sure they hear this jesus was willing to spend a lifetime being rejected by men so that we could spend eternity being accepted and received by god can I just find about 75 people to throw up your hands today and declare, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made him who had never sinned to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With our hands raised and just for the next few moments, Let's just worship God for this great exchange, this gift that Jesus gave us. He bears.
to this day our rejection so that we can carry the acceptance of the Father. He bore our sin and shame so that we can carry his righteousness and purity and holiness. He bears even now our wrestling matches so that you and I don't have to struggle so that we can win in this thing called life. And this is why we lift our hands today and we bless you, Lord, that even in the midst of the tears and the sorrow and the anger and the rejection, I've been accepted by God. I have been accepted by God. Father, we praise you today that in these moments, my brothers and sisters are grasping the full revelation of the battle they are in. And if they will just keep wrestling, they're going to win. They're going to win. Because the real wrestle, the real warfare, the real battle, many times isn't even Satan. He's not my greatest enemy. He's my adversary. Jamin is Jamin's greatest enemy. I won't throw your name in front of it. You can do it yourself. You are your greatest enemy. And this is why I need to tag in someone greater than me so he can jump in and win this victory for me and for his glory. Can you shout amen? Hallelujah.